You are now listening to the Life on Repeat podcast with Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and elder care coach. I'm so happy that you found us. So welcome, everybody. I am so happy to have a dear friend of mine, Jennifer Hops, on today to have a discussion about what she does. She is an OT, and she has a company called Adaptive Living. So Jennifer, I'm hoping you could just tell us a little about what an OT is and and why that might be important for somebody caring for someone with dementia to know about what an OT does. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm an occupational therapist, and I've been an occupational therapist for over 20 years. And really the the goal of an occupational therapist is to work with their clients to maximize their independence and their, you know, life in whatever they need to do. So if they're having trouble, they have a physical injury, if they've had a head injury, if they have a progressive illness, our focus is what do we need to do to work with them to maximize their quality of life and their independence? And a lot of times we end up working with their caregivers too, to achieve that goal. So I've worked in all sorts of settings from hospitals to nursing homes. And what I was realizing was there was sort of this missing element on a private consultant that could help with transition home from a hospital or working with them in their home and with a contractor potentially or a designer to help create the environment that works for them in their life now or planning ahead. So that's when I got into aging in place Mm. and became a certified aging in place specialist about five years ago and then got a executive certificate in home modification from USC Davis. And I've just been loving it. And that's when I created Adaptive Living. And so now I'm able to, as an independent contractor and aging in place specialist, work with people in the community to, to prepare their environment for living in their home the rest of their life, to modify it for the time now during while they recover from an injury, or just work with them from where they are now. So it's it's been a fun endeavor and I just love every minute of it. I love this. You know, I've worked with OTs, I've worked with PTs. One of the things that I think I've just been conditioned to think about is you think about utilizing those services when you're hospitalized or when you're in a skilled nursing facility. You know, they have the team, the care team there. And then what happens, as we know, is you get discharged home and then you're kind of on your own as a family member or patient or caregiver to figure this stuff out on your own. And so I love that. I love that you have the need. Yes. And frequently they don't qualify for home health agency to come out there. And if they do, that's wonderful. And the therapist can work with them in their home, but they are limited on time and scope of what they can do. And Really, my, so my focus here is really to be a consultant for their environment and work with a whole family that lives there to make that housework for them. And the cool thing is that I can stay on and work with the contractor, which 
no one in these settings and home health or, you know, the acute environment can do. So mm-hmm. that's an advantage that I have and that the clients have with hiring me. So that's yeah. been fun. So yeah, tell us what kind of contractors do you work with? What does that look like? So I've worked with sort of independent contractors that, you know, kind of the single person that goes and installs grab bars and can do like a shower remodel and stuff. And then I am also working with, worked with several companies in the Olympia area that provide services and I've created some good trusted relationships with them where I trust their work and they trust my consultation. And so that's been a nice thing to develop as I've been in business for four or five years. So it's what I'm hearing you say is usually it's people that are building something or installing something or remodeling something. These are the types of contractors that you yes, use. The, the types of, yes, the professionals that I'm working with. I also have worked with some interior designers that are designing the space and then I can advise I'm definitely not an interior designer, but I know what the client needs. So if I can give the builder or the designer some specs and say they need this for their shower, then they, you know, they can use their skills to design that in to look like a beautiful spa. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's like, you're the idea person and they're the the artist. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm so curious. I love when I talk to people to just hear a little bit about like personally, what drew you to this line of work? How did you decide to become an occupational therapist? And then what led you down the path of, you know, recognizing that you wanted to start your own company? And so I always knew I wanted to work with people and I got a bachelor's degree in kinesiology, which is the study of human movement. And you know, sort of the typical thing from there is, oh, I'm going to, you know, be a physical therapist. So I was in San Francisco at the time, living in San Francisco and volunteered at a hospital that had PTs and OTs and speech therapists. And I, I got to see what they all do. And boy, do I love my physical therapist. I love all all of you PTs, you're highly skilled. I just love you and you're excellent at what you do, but I really realized that 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 structure was not for me. I was exposed to the OTs and it was, it's an extremely creative field and it's, it's changing depending on the individual. You know, we all have certain muscle, muscle structure and, you know, we all have different lives and different stories and different goals on what we want to do and what we need to do with our lives to create that independence or that satisfaction with living. And that's what an OT does is work with that person to achieve that goal. And again, it's different and a little different in every setting. I might just be teaching someone how to brush their teeth again because they've lost the ability to do that. Or again, then working in the home with them, which is a really natural setting for an OT because that's where they live. That's where they do things they achieve. That's where they do their hobbies and you can really see kind of what their habits and lifestyle is, obviously, when you're in their home. And again, that's why, you know, after many years of working in hospitals and different formalized settings, I really wanted to create this business to be an independent contractor, really, uh, in a, 
advisor to people to maximize their way of living at home and prepare for aging in place because the population's growing. A lot of people want to remain in their home and not have to go to a facility. So I work with them with their goal of remaining in their home. Okay, what do we need to do to keep you in your home for as long as you want? What do we need to do? And it's fun and creative. Mm-hmm. I was I was imagining as you were talking, like if I could be a fly on the wall or sit on your shoulder while you were, you know, observing someone's home. And you're right, because it's people eat, people go to the bathroom, people walk through their house, people, all of the things that able-bodied individuals don't think about, you are looking at through a different lens. And you're also, what I hear you saying really clearly too, is you're also projecting ahead, you know, as people are preparing their homes to live safely. And like you said, maximize their independence. You're also thinking ahead if a person were to decline or if they needed more assistance in the future, you're able to help them think about that as well. Exactly. And I think that that's where a person with a medical background and my background comes in handy because we are highly educated in the aging process and different types of diagnoses that could be progressive and what that looks like in the different stages. And I think that's where involving a healthcare professional that has this sort of aging in place specialty is really important when you're thinking about a remodel or any kind of change of environment in your home, because we can help give that input as a healthcare professional. And then again, advise whatever contractor they're working with or who's going to actually do the work for them. But I found as I've had adaptive living that it's just been really vital that, and I've made a lot of changes to the original plan because I can, you know, I can project into the future as a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. Nice. So one of the things that I'm thinking of is like how helpful that would be for somebody caring for somebody with memory impairment. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about, I'm just curious what advice you might give to somebody if, if somebody was newly diagnosed with a type of dementia And the family is, you know, usually they're kind of reeling from that. Tell me a little bit about what what are kind of the first things that you might, first bits of advice that you might give somebody to think about. So the adjustment period is a, a big one. And I think that's where you help with that quite a bit. Just the psychological adjustment and going through to the basically acceptance of the fact that their body is going to be going through some changes and they're going to need more assistance as they go along. So, you know, the, my usual advice at the, at the beginning is to really um, establish your team around you, your, your support systems, your who is going to, you know, do you need to think about hiring someone? Do you have the family supports? And are they capable of attending to your needs as they change? And then outside support, people like you, people like me, um, people that can support them as they go along their stages and advise them. And then have your plan, okay, if I get to this stage and I am not 
having the support I need? What are my wishes now? So sort of establishing a plan, a general plan and your support system. And then really, so the early stages is really important to really kind of get going also when they're ready, psychologically, to develop your patterns in your home. So predictable patterns, keeping a calendar, keeping a schedule every day. So your body, your mind and your body get used to typical pattern every day. And that's going to really increase your safety because things will be predictable. But then we need to work with the environment and be make sure that that predictability is going to match with your environment. So you don't have any barriers in the environment that might cause a hazard for you, tripping wise, lighting. So that's when we start, you would, I would advise to, if you're going to really want to remain in your home, look at the bigger type, bigger picture remodel type things, meaning uh, no steps to enter into your home, railings, lighting in the entry and throughout halls and stairways, preparing your bathroom for potentially a roll-in shower, or at least a shower where a caregiver could help you. There's room to receive assistance later down the road. Again, good entry into the toilet. And then, you know, of course, adding grab bars and things that you'll, places where you'll naturally want to grab to help you with your balance or to help your caregiver transfer you should you need that at some point. You know, and then you can also, you get into, okay, your medication management, that's part of the patterns, right? Uh, So developing a system for how you manage your medications and when it's going to be time for someone to take that over for you and double check and make sure that you, you know, stay healthy with the appropriate dosage of medications you're supposed to take. And that, again, is part of where the team comes in to help develop those routines and patterns. I love this. I kind of want to recap a little bit what you're saying. Okay. I, I mean, no, there's a lot. There's a lot. I, I, but this is fantastic stuff. I mean, and you're helping me understand in a different way. Like, I know how important it is to have those patterns and routines and predictability measures kind of set. And what a beautiful time to implement that stuff early on, right? You know, the earlier, the better, because then you get used to those patterns and routines. And so that is just such an important point. I think when we talk about what are the patterns that would be helpful to implement a lot of stuff we're already doing, we're not thinking about it, we're not conscious right. about it. So right. becoming conscious of it. And then, you know, then you're more deliberate and then you can tweak it looking ahead. So some of the things that I wrote down that you mentioned were things like, like using a calendar or managing your scheduling. Again, I think a lot of people do that, but they might not be conscious of it, or they may be using tools that may not be beneficial later. So simplifying tools, becoming conscious of it. You talked about steps and railing, all the safety stuff, bathroom, shower, medication management. This is fantastic, Jen. <laughs> I think it's, it's very exciting, but also assessing the family's ability to use technology. So I've been doing a lot of advising on doing two-step reminders. So keeping a list, an actual list of, you know, so you're writing down, you've got the muscle memory of writing something down and it's right in front of you or right next to your medications, but then also telling Alexa 
start getting used to telling, you know, your, your home system to remind you at a certain time to take this or your watch. A lot of people are having, you know, Apple watches and those types of technologies. And again, earlier, the better to introduce that and, or just have the caregiver manage that ongoing. So, you know, even your cell phone can remind you. So there's a lot of technology that we can be working with the family with to help sort of be part of the team, (laughs) remind them because they're going to be busy and any kind of extra reminders, all the kind of stuff that's out there now is, you know, really um, valuable. I love that you brought up technology. I'm thinking about the variety of folks that I work with at different stages and I could, some cases, somebody maybe has advanced dementia, you know, we wouldn't be introducing technology or expecting them to get it at that point, which highlights this whole point of the earlier, the better to introduce these new tools. And modify the environment. And that's, you know, part of technology is modifying the environment. You're, you're changing something. And as you, you progress, the change is not as good to do because their patterns have been established and it is much more difficult for a person with advancing dementia, as you know, to adjust to changes. And you need much more repetition to create new patterns. Also, And also the caregiver. I mean, I, yeah. when, yeah, as a, care, as a family member, as a caregiver, stress can be high, demands are high. It can be hard to introduce new things during that time. So I could, again, the emphasis on early planning. And so what about folks who haven't had the luxury or the opportunity to do some of this earlier planning and preparation, you know, developing these patterns? You know, what if somebody is caring for someone who is mid to later stage? What advice would you have as an occupational therapist and a home advisor, you know, to give to somebody in a later stage? Well, you know, this is pretty typical and you probably experience this too with what you do is that this is when we're contacted quite frequently is when it's gotten less manageable. So they feel like they need to reach out at that stage or something is not working for them. Like, oh no, all of a sudden they're in crisis (laughs) or yes, the crisis happens, right? Or we, I can't take care of them doing this, or I'm worried that this person is going to fall. And what do we do? So of course, you know, yes. So we're pretty used to entering in at this stage or, you know, with working in a hospital, of course, we see them after the crisis is taken. So, so, you know, my aim is to avoid them going to the hospital (laughs) in the first place, but that's where getting to know their patterns is so important. What do they do in their home? How do they move from one place to another? And a lot of times I'll just observe the client walking around and using their house because I can see, are they furniture walking? Do they need, do we need to put a little grab bar there that they're just going to naturally grab and not be alarmed that this has uh, changed in the environment? Are there some automatic lights that we can use to just automatically light up when they enter into a hallway or they're entering into the bathroom at night? It'll just come on so they don't have to sort of remember to turn it on or off. There's technology to light up toilet bowls. 
And I, the people I've advised and have gotten them have loved them because you can have all the lights off, but you could just walk in. It has a sensor that lights up the toilet bowl. And this actually, it might be alarming for someone with advanced dementia, but you just sort of have to know who you're dealing with and what their tolerance is for that. But it, advanced, I really like to see how they're using and, and put in very, very, very small changes to help maximize their safety and help the caregiver. So then I'm working with the caregiver to say, okay, when they wake up during this hour, these are advice to, you know, keep an eye on, or you might want to have a camera installed so you can see from your bedroom, their activity, that type of small changes to help the caregiver. But I've, you know, I've also advised on, you know what, this chair has been there for 20 years. They know where this chair is. They love this chair. Yes, they have to walk around it. And if it's not a huge hazard, I always advise just leaving certain things where they are. Leave the environment as predictable as you can and then remove more obvious tripping hazards like cords or things that they're not going to necessarily miss in their patterns to make things safer. Love this. Oh my gosh. One of the things I love so much about what you were just talking about is just being so aware and respectful of that balance between implementing change mm-hmm. and staying with what's what's known, the predictable, you know, the what's known. I love, I just love that you're bringing that up because I think people often want to run in and change this and that and make it all different. And what I'm hearing you say is you don't have to do that. You can be really thoughtful about keeping the environment as quote normal or predictable for the person that has memory impairment, but also implementing those pieces that are going to make a big change. Absolutely. And then the other thing you said, I love too, I just want to highlight this as well is Later stages, mid to later stages, a lot of the work that you're doing, what I hear you saying, it's definitely to help the person with memory impairment, but also to really help the family members or the caregivers. Absolutely. They, they, they need the support. They need the encouragement to also take care of themselves. And then whatever we can advise to help ease their way, I think is, is critical because it's highly stressful. And it's a full-time job, you know, and that's where even on earlier stages, it's good to set up a pattern of respite for them. Who else in their team, in their pod can come and help and is knowledgeable. And so that, that caregiver feels like they can take some time and take a breath and go for a walk or go to the beach, something that could be good for their soul and their life. So then they can better care for their, their partner or mother or, you know, when they return. So, yeah, we talk about that a lot. Just that the primary caregiver is kind of the, the, really the most key person in this whole (laughs) where I, I, it's funny because I meet with some people, some caregivers, and they're so used to focusing on the person receiving the care. And I, I really try to reframe, redirect in, you know, um, get the point across that if they're not taken care of, if they're not doing well, the whole system is going to crumble. 
And so, yeah, just really, I love that you recognize that. I love that you recognize the importance of supporting the primary caregiver and making life easier for them. Yeah, and really encouraging them to let go sometimes and let someone else help so they can take a break. And that's where, you know, establishing that earlier, we even said to, you know, contact these health agencies that will can pay to have an aide or, you know, someone for care earlier than you think you need it. Because once you really need it, it's like a rush job, right? But interview them, make sure that the family gels with this professional that will come into your home and create a, a relationship. And so, because that's part of the people in the home are part of the environment as well, right? They can really change the environment. If all of a sudden you're introducing a total stranger, that could create a lot of hazard for the person because they get confused, potentially frustrated or angry because the environment has changed and that makes them feel uncomfortable. And so, again, that's an environmental change is introducing helpers earlier, the better. Such a good point. Yeah, I have never thought of it that the way that you're explaining it. I mean, it's obvious, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But you think of environmental change. I, I guess I think of moving the furniture around or, you know, moving to a new setting or thing. But you're right. When you bring in care providers or, you know, additional people to your team, you're right that those people in the space are changing the environment. And, you know, on that note, if you were going to hire an aide to come in, I, as the, as the main caregiver, would write down what this person they're caring for's pattern is. What do they do? How do they do things? So the aide or, you know, the helper can adhere to that schedule and not change things too much. Just be, just help ease their way through their environment. Sometimes people, yeah, uh, think they're helping with the, the redirecting or, but I could see that how important it is to communicate, basically communicate what's predictable, what's normal, what isn't. And I, I can see a huge part of what you do. You mentioned that before is you're looking at the bigger pattern. You're mapping out this pattern and then recognizing where can things be tweaked and how can we help the person be safe? How can we help the caregiver be safe? Right. And, you know, also, you know, the environment, so things need to be in their place. So the milk needs to always be where the milk is in the fridge. (laughs) And the ketchup needs to be, you know, you need to sort of, that's part of being predictable Mm -hmm. is keeping things in their place. So it does not take searching to locate what they need. And that will be also part of the role of whatever caregiver comes in is to help keep things consistent. Yes. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm thinking about myself right now. (laughs) I'm like, oh, do I really have a place for that thing that we're always looking for? (laughs) But this is the pre-planning. These are the habits that you talked about earlier of once you can start developing these habits and always put the milk on the bottom part of the shelf and always put the ketchup on the left-hand side of the door or, you know, those things that. But again, 
you know, we can go even further with this, of course. If they start having balance issues, you don't want to put things very low or very high. It all needs to be the frequently, the things that they would access every day needs to be predictable. So where where they always find it and at a very easy to lift or move place. So you're not getting into a falling situation with balance issues and and whatnot. So their favorite coffee cup isn't on the top shelf if they're a short person. It's where easily accessible, those sorts of things. This is so helpful, Jen, really. Just, you know, all of the brainstorming, these ideas about planning in advance and thinking about things you can do later. Is there any, I'm kind of curious, what are the most commonly asked questions that you get? Or what what are some common things that you almost always see when you go into someone's home? That is interesting. I would say that it's pretty easy to pick out tripping hazards. You know, that's another thing about having a consultant like both of us in someone's home, because, you know, the way we see our own home is so different from the way other people see our home. And because we live here, we move in the environment and deal with our clutter or, you know, our different quirky little spaces. But if you invite a professional in, they're going to look with objective eyes. And I think that's where that comes in. So that's where you start with your basic safety knowledge of making sure there's loose rugs are tacked down with double-sided tape so they're not turning up. Making sure there's appropriate lighting um, and railings and, and those types of little changes are very typical because people don't, unless they've already moved into sort of senior housing or some home that has already been prepared for like an ADA home, they're still, they're missing all of those little factors like access to the toilet. You know, they might be in a very small cramped space where if they need, and they probably will at some point need to have a walker or a wheelchair, how are they going to get there? And if they can't get to the toilet or the shower, you're, that's frequently where people can't return home if they go to the hospital or they have trouble with their environment is because they can't access the bathroom or the caregiver can't help them or they can't get in and out of their house anymore. And so those are the biggest factors that we pay attention to initially as kind of top priorities to, if you want to stay in your home, we need to make sure that the bathroom and access to the bathroom and bedroom are, you know, potentially wheelchair accessible. Or if you can't, how are you going to modify later? Can you convert part of a living room later to a bedroom when that time comes? So looking at, you know, with fresh eyes, how can you modify it later if you're constricted by walls and things that you don't, you're not interested in changing at this point? But we definitely need to look at how are you going to get in and out of the house safely at varying stages. So that's pretty typical is the entry and the bathroom. And I imagine this kind of an obvious question, I guess, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm a person that wants to plan ahead. I'm caring for someone. I know their needs are going to increase. I think one of my first thoughts that comes up for me is, oh my gosh, it's going to cost a ton of money to do this. And I, what I'm kind of laughing at myself here is I know it depends on 
the the space that you're in. So do you see uh, a wide range? Like, have you gone into homes and really there's just some really simple, easy, inexpensive things that you could do? Is it usually cost a ton of money to redo a lot of things? Like, what are, what are you seeing in your work? Well, it, you know, it really varies. It varies, of course. Everyone's different. Everyone has a different budget and different goals. And what is worth reminding families is that nursing homes and assisted livings are very, very expensive. <laughs> I love that you're saying that. Um, yeah. You're right. <laughs> more expensive per month than a remodel of, you know, your shower. Now, shower remodels and bathroom remodels can be very expensive, but if they can do it or get, you know, a low interest loan in order to do that, I would advise doing it as soon as possible so they are prepared. Mm-hmm. But if they're open to, you know what, we just want to do what we can right now to keep he or she in our house for as long as possible. And then we will consider the next stage of care because I'm not going to be able to care for them at this point, you know, that kind of thing. Then the the small tweaks come in. Okay, what can we do to the environment to make it work for you for the next five years or two years? Mm-hmm. And again, everyone's different with their process, but at least look out that far and again add lighting, rails, grab bars that are less cost. But I would even advise advise something like, okay, so you have a tub that you take a shower in, but it has a sliding glass door. Those sliding glass doors are very, very difficult. First of all, if you needed to install a bench in there, it's difficult to get in and then sit down. Also, it's very difficult for someone to help you when you're restricted by a glass sliding door. So usually, you know, a kind of a low cost solution is lift those doors out, put in a shower curtain, a pressure-mounted shower curtain, and open up that space. So you give yourself more options Mm -hmm. to be able to get into this tub in order to, you know, and they can do it with grab bars independently, or you have the space now to help them in, and they're not restricted by glass. So those are, that's an example of little fixes, low-cost solutions that will help them in their process. That make a huge difference. Yes, I could see for sure. Well, Jen, this has been such a, a wonderful conversation. Really, I, I know this is going to be helpful to so many. It was really helpful for me. So if people wanted to contact you or learn more about your work, what is the best way that they could reach out to you? So I have a website and a presence on Facebook. And I know not all ages use Facebook, but I I am consulting with a lot of people that are have children and parents they're caring for at the same time. And so I've been posting a lot of articles and helpful. I just yesterday I did a checklist online for people to go through their house independently and and look for safety hazards themselves. And that's Adaptive Living LLC on Facebook. And my website is AdaptiveLivingOT.com. AdaptiveLivingOT.com. Or they can just email me and contact me there at, at JenHops, J-E-N-H-O-P-P-S dot A-L for Adaptive Living mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Wonderful. Oh, man. 
I just really want to thank you for your time and thank everybody for joining us too. And again, if you have any questions at all about what Jen is talking about, she's got a Facebook group, Adaptive Living, and you can find her at her website, AdaptiveLivingOT.com. Thank you for having me, Laura. This has been really fun. You bet. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.